Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. When we surrender to Christ in obedience, God will do amazing things in our lives. When we lay down our agenda and open up to let God guide and empower, we will see the Holy Spirit move, move in ways we can't imagine. This is chiefly for the glory of God the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Welcome to Pentecost Sunday. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and we read about the first Pentecost of the New Testament in Acts chapter 2. We are a Pentecostal church. What that often means is that we believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit we read about in the book of Acts, like speaking in tongues or the list of gifts in Corinthians, are for today. What it should mean, however, with the deeper meaning of being Pentecostal should be this. If we are a people of Pentecost, it is that we are a people committed to the Great Commission. That we have a passionate, all-consuming, fanatical desire to see God the Father glorified through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't often do this. In fact, I was really questioning if I wanted the little kids to be here on Pentecost Sunday. But because we are a Pentecostal church, because we believe that the gifts of the Spirit for today, we should have the kids in our sanctuary. And here's another thing. If I cannot explain Pentecost to the kids here, then I don't understand it myself. So it's a good test. <laughs> so I don't often do this, and I question the appropriateness of doing this when our kids are here today. But I'd like to tell you about a major doctrine, a distinctive doctrine that we believe and it is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, we focus on the tongues, but the tongues are just simply an outpouring of what is really happening on the inside, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We call this our seventh fundamental truth. This is the actual wording that you can find on ag.org. In fact, if you want more information today, I'm not going to go super in-depth on what speaking in tongues is or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, why we believe it is for today. But if you want to know more about that, you can talk to me personally. Also, you can go to ag.org. But this is how they word it. All believers are entitled to and should earnestly expect and earnestly seek the promise of the Father, the baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire, according to the command of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
This was the normal experience of all early Christ, of the early Christian church. With it comes the endowment of power for life and service and the bestowment of the gifts and their uses in the work of the ministry. So what does that mean? It means that there is another gift, as there are many gifts that God wants to give to us after he has saved us. This is not salvation. This does not mean you need to speak in tongues or you're not saved. But this is yet another gift that God gives to us to do the work of his will in, in the ministry that he gives to us. This does not make you a better Christian. This does not put you at another level. No more than, no more than if God heals somebody that that makes them more special than somebody who was not healed or more important to God or more loved by God. But this is just something that God has for us. And the purpose of it is really, it's not just for ourselves or so that we can do this, but it is to give us an endowment of power for witnessing, meaning that we become this dynamo of faith. All of a sudden, we're talking about football with some friend, and all of a sudden, we have this urging from the Holy Spirit to tell them of a Savior who died and rose again. That is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does. This is not AG confirmation. If you are part of a more or if you grew up in a more liturgical church like Lutheran or Catholic, you're familiar with confirmation. And it's kind of a, this rite of passage into your faith. You're confirmed in your faith. Baptism of the Holy Spirit with the gift of speaking in tongues, the first initial, initial physical evidence, is not confirmation. Now you've really arrived. Now you're really AG. Not at all. Not at all. You know, there's a lot of expectations that we can have for Pentecost Sunday. You know something interesting about the first Pentecost in the New Testament? They really didn't have much expectations other than God's going to do something because Jesus said that he would. This is Pentecost Sunday, and we are going to be committing the second half of this service to praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and a refilling of the Holy Spirit. This doesn't mean, however, we'll be praying for you to speak in tongues, and that might seem counterproductive. In fact, you may have been in many services where people pray for you to speak in tongues. Not going to do that. You know why we're not going to do that? They didn't do that in the Bible. They prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe as a Pentecostal Assembly God church, the first physical evidence, the first thing that you see with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. But speaking in tongues is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I hope I make that abundantly clear because I don't want anybody walking away from this service feeling condemned because they're not speaking in tongues. At the, very, at the very least, and really at the very most, what I want us to do for the second half of this service is to touch the throne of God. To enter into the Holy of Holies, which is our right as children of the Most High God. And I am believing that, the, that God is going to baptize some of you in the Holy Spirit. You're going to speak in other tongues. Thank you, Jesus. But what I want most of all is for God the Father to be glorified through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. The first New Testament Pentecost, the believers were not praying to speak in tongues. Elsewhere in the book of Acts, they don't pray that either. They pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we will do today. What can you expect today? I don't know what you came here expecting. Maybe some of you are like, oh, wait a second. Is this going to be a weird service? Where's the exit? If you go out that one, you're going to fall down the hill, so watch out. Um, <laughs> You can expect the Holy Spirit to work because he is working right now, whether you feel him doing it or not. Myself, the staff, and the board members have been praying for this Sunday. 
we are believing that if we open ourselves to what God wants to do, we will see amazing, incredible things. We've been praying for this moment. We have put ourselves in the deepest parts of prayer, knowing that the Holy Spirit this day will glorify the Son, and the Son will glorify the Father. The Holy Spirit will be poured out on both young and old, sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, everyone. Really, the question is, what can the Holy Spirit expect out of you? Will he be closed off? We'd be wondering, what time is Pastor Jason going to get done with this? Maybe I can get out early and beat everybody to the punch at, at Cinco's. Or you'll be ready for what God will have for you, like, the, like in Acts chapter 2. They were gathered together in one place. Believe it or not, the goal today isn't to hear everyone speak in tongues. That would be great, but that's not the goal. The goal isn't to see tears or an outpouring of emotion. The goal is for spirit baptism is to see everyone become a passionate witness to see and marvel at the Holy Spirit's work in and through you, to hear how you are leading neighbors, friends, even enemies to the foot of our Savior. You know, one of the things I, I, just, I thought was so amazing in my life in Christ was when God first saved me, was witnessing to, like before the Lord saved me, he saved me when I was in junior high, and I was a bit of a, a rough character, so to speak. And all of a sudden, God gives me love for some of the people I used to hate, and then I would even witness to them. And when they, became, when, they, when they got saved, I called them brother or sister. That's the amazing thing that God does. It's the endowment of power that God gives us. Speaking in tongues, so the, the goal to this, for this day of spirit baptism is for witnessing. When talking about the spirit baptism, we have to talk about speaking in tongues. Because that is the first evidence of the Spirit's baptism. But let's talk about speaking in tongues. There is both public and personal gifts of speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is the physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues means speaking in other languages as we just read today. So briefly, let me explain to you what tongues is. It's for the building up of the church, and it's for the building up of the individual believer. It's not a badge of honor. It shouldn't be seen as a rite of passage or something to take pride in. In fact, if we focus on the gift and not the giver, all we've done is committed idolatry. It's a gift, and like all gifts, they are given by the one giving them in his time and in his way. Maybe you've been praying 20 years for this, and it hasn't happened. Don't feel condemned today. Please don't feel condemned today. Please do not feel like you're a second-class Christian today if you have not received this gift, for the gift comes from the giver in his time and in his way. Today, no one may speak in tongues, or everyone may, but God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are equally as glorious and amazing in each and every circumstance. There is a private prayer language that builds up the person. If you have the gift of tongues, use it in your personal prayer life. It is your spirit praying. Before you were in Christ, your spirit was dead. And then when God caused his spirit to come into your spirit, your spirit became alive. And your spirit now can pray. When you pray in tongues in your personal prayer life, it is your spirit praying. This is why Paul the Apostle said, don't just pray in tongues in your church services because that's just for you. It's not for anybody else. It builds yourself up, but nobody else gets built up. The only way somebody's built up is if there's interpretation. If you have the gift of tongues, use it on a regular basis for your personal prayer life. The other is what we see in Acts chapter 2. It's what we read about in Corinthians, 
When we meet together, there might be a message in tongue and then interpretation of tongues. Paul the Apostle was very much more in favor of just prophecy in the middle of church services in order not to forbid the, the, the speaking of tongues, but to also use the other gifts as well. It's for the building up of the church. This happens when someone will out loud give a message in tongues and another will give an interpretation. This is something, though, in, every, in all utterances in church, whether preaching or through the gifts of the Spirit, we critically examine those. This is something, as your pastor, it's like, am I ready for this? Am I ready to preach this message? Because we might have messages in tongues. We might have prophecies given during our services. And when that happens, we listen, we critically examine. And if it's of the Lord, if it's in line with the Scriptures, there's nothing in the Scriptures against it, we receive it with thanksgiving. And we receive it with great joy. But if the message giving is not in line with the Scripture, I, as your pastor, will have to publicly correct the record. And that's an awkward moment. That's when people are like, I don't want to go to this church. They don't let the spirit move. But that's the direction we have in the scripture. And if we're not going to do it, we have to rip out that portion of the scripture. But the benefit bars outweighs the risk. The benefit bars outweighs the risk. Many of you probably have a personal testimony of a time when you were struggling, struggling, struggling. You were in the word, but it was like, it was just bouncing off of your heart. You were praying and it was like your words were bouncing off the ceiling. Then some, some, some saint came to you and told you, maybe it was simple, maybe it was so simple as this. God saw you last night in your room. He wants to know you. He's listening. And it changed. That's no new information. It's not like you're going to go to the end of your Bible, write that down as some new scripture. But it points you to what God has said, that he listens to his children. Whew. I'd like to share with you a message from our superintendent, Doug Clay. He wrote this, he sent this to all the pastors right before um, Pentecost Sunday. And this is his words right here. I believe with all my heart that the church is heading into its finest hour. There's a sense of expectation. It's what the Bible describes as the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Pentecost is a celebration of the first harvest. I am praying the summer of 2022, beginning with Pentecost, will be marked by one of the greatest, greatest harvests of souls our church has ever experienced. We need a generation of spirit-baptized believers to fervently pray for and boldly speak to our communities. Our nation needs revival. Amen. Our nation needs revival. Every nation does. People will, also, will often and I was one of them, kind of arrogantly talk about the um, promises to Israel in the Old Testament, saying that those are just for Israel, like Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll hear their land. And many people, including myself, will say, that's not for us, and that's true. It was for Israel. But I, as I was preaching through Jonah, remember, they repented, they prayed, they turned from their wicked ways. God heard from heaven. If it's true for Nineveh, it could be true for America. Amen. If it's true for America, it can be true for Vietnam. It can be true for Russia. It can be true for the Ukraine. It can be true for every nation on the face of this earth. We don't presume upon the kindness of God. In fact, that's what Israel did. And we just read about in Hosea today where God was like, I'm done. I'm not your God and you're not my people. May God never say that of America. 
in our own pride and selfish attitude, may God never just say, just have your own way. One of the first judgments God, the greatest judgment God will put on to a nation is just let them do what they want. That's the Romans 1 judgment. And a nation that, that, fall, that starts going down that path never recovers. May that not be our nation. Sorry, that was a total aside, not even what he said. Let me go on with, with, with his quote here. Culture may well be a deep, in a, at a deeply dark moment, but that's not when the church, but that is when the church can shine the brightest as Christ witnesses to this world. I'm reminded of Romans 8:19. The created world itself can hardly wait for the coming, what's coming next. A.W. Tozer once said, the world is waiting to hear an authentic voice, a voice from God, not an echo of what others are saying, but an authentic voice. Let's rise and be the authentic voice to a generation that is deeply in need. That is what we're at this service. It is we are at, we are, we are after the point of the first Pentecost is to be this authentic voice in a generation that deeply needs to hear of a God who saves a God who transforms, a God who does not leave us where we're at, but he continually makes us into who we are made to be. So this is the day of Pentecost. And like those believers, we are gathered together in one place. What else happens in Pentecost? What was the actions and attitudes of those who were there? One, they obeyed. Two, they were open. And three, they exercised. Number one, and this is verse one, when the day of Pentecost came, they were gathered together in one place. We tend to skip over this because we want to get to the good stuff, but don't skip over that. There's a reason why they're gathered together in one place. It wasn't just simply their meetings. They were obeying the very orders of Jesus Christ himself. The Lord orders them to stay in Jerusalem, and they do. Acts 1.4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Pentecost begins with obedience. Pentecost begins with obedience. Understanding is optional, obedience is not. Those in the upper room had an idea, had no idea, let me re rephrase that, those in the upper room had no idea what exactly was going to happen. Nothing like that had happened before. Possibly at the giving of the law, but remember that's in the Midrash, not in the Bible. No one there was thinking, hey, maybe there'll be tongues of fire and we'll speak in other tongues. All they knew is that, the, that their Lord, their Savior, the resurrected Lord, had told them, stay in Jerusalem until it happens. Understanding is optional, but obedience is mandatory. Obedience doesn't always make sense. Kids, do your parents sometimes ask you to do things you don't understand? <laughs> I love kids. They answer, right? It's like, clean your room. It's just going to get messier later in the day. Make your bed. I'm just going to have to unmake it when I sleep in it. And parents, you as good parents, you suffer the wrath of your children because you know that you want them at least one day to know how to make their bed. Whether or not they choose to make it, that's up to them. But you need to prepare them for the real world. So you're willing to suffer their wrath because, because you want to prepare them for what's next. You know, and that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. Not all the time do we understand why this next step needs to be made. In fact, sometimes it is, sometimes we say, well, I had a peace about that. That means it's okay. 
Sometimes our peace is our excuse not to obey. Because sometimes obedience is terrifying. Um, Lindsay uh, served in the military a number of years, and I bet there are several orders you had to fulfill that were not like, man, it's going to be really exciting to drive down the road not knowing where there's a bomb planted. But you trusted your CO that he knew what he was thinking, whether or not he did. But we have a trust in our commanding officer, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he really does understand. And it is for our good and his glory. There are commands in Scripture that, are, that, make, it, that make things hard, make things difficult, make things awkward. We sometimes think that God is being mean, but ultimately it's for our good. They were unified. They were together in one place. That was part of the command of God, the obedience that they had to live. We talk about unity a lot in the church, but I don't think we really understand what unity in the church really means. We, talk, we see disagreements and we're like, we're not unified. We need to get unified. If your expectation of unity is for us to have all the same opinions, that's not a unity that's happening on this side of the veil of tears. It's not even a unity they had in the book of Acts. If we continue reading the book of Acts, we will see explosive, um, explosive arguments to the point where they're like, there's a point where Paul the Apostle, he's traveling with a guy named Barnabas, and over one of their guys, one of their friends, Barnabas's friend, John Mark, kind of a flake, Paul's like, I'm not traveling with you anymore. And it's, there's like this kind of like split, and you're like, this is supposed to be, the, everything's supposed to be perfect right now. How come there's so much tension right here? We're supposed to be unified. Why isn't the church unified? They, they are unified. The unity doesn't come in opinions. The unity doesn't come in, in situations. It comes through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we take communion. That I can talk with another believer for perhaps a faith tradition that I think is unbiblical. Like, for instance, those who don't believe the gifts of the Spirit, like speaking in tongues, are for today, are called cessationists. But we are brothers in Christ because the blood of Christ flows through both of our veins. And we are unified, even though, even on, a, on an important doctrine like this, we don't agree. Because that is where unity comes from. They will not all stay together in one place. They will be scattered, but they will always be in the same place spiritually. For it is Christ that brings the unity. In verse 1, they had unity, and in, in, in Acts chapter 28, they are still unified. Christ is the one who binds them together. Verse 1, they are united in obedience to the word of God. Nothing grieves the Spirit more than when we disobey the word of God. O openness, verses 2 through 4. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here we come to it. What it looks like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. This never happens again. And all of the rest of Acts, people are baptized in the Holy Spirit. They speak in other tongues, but there's no tongues of fire. There's no sound of a rushing wind. You know, the way I've always thought about this in my mind is that there was this huge wind, like a drencho, going through the whole place. That's not what all. It was the sound of a rushing wind. They could hear the Spirit come. We don't see that thrust in the book of Acts. But what we do see is the same thing still happening spiritually. Every time someone is baptized in the Holy Spirit, this is what's happening in the heavenlies. Sometimes God lifts up the veil so that we can see through the, in the Spirit what is happening. Most of the time, we take it in faith. There's something that is amazing that happens. 
I, I like to share my testimony. And my testimony seems very dramatic because the Holy Spirit was speaking to me of my sin and I repented. And the next day I say it was like I never saw color before because God brought me to new life. That's your testimony too, though. You just didn't have it in the same way. The Holy Spirit revealed to you your sin and you called upon the name of the Lord and you were saved. Maybe you were at camp and you raised your hand. Maybe you were in a church service. Maybe you were alone in your room. That was me. Sometimes the Holy Spirit lifts up this veil. And I said like today, once again, I have to... If I can't explain this to kids, I don't truly understand it. This is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does. It's like going super Saiyan. Sorry for their reference. <laughs> the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and he gives us power to do things we couldn't do before. Look at Peter. So we look at the speaking in tongues, we focus on the speaking in tongues, but look at Peter. You know, there's kind of like this person who's missing from chapter 1 and chapter 2 until you get to a certain point. Peter the Apostle, you read through the Gospels, and there's, there's this guy who always wants to talk every time Jesus talks. You know, you, you know people like that, right? Like you're, you're having a conversation, they have to interrupt you every two seconds. This was Peter. Peter, you know, always had something to say when Jesus said, was saying something. Jesus says, I'm going to die. Peter says, never, Lord. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter always had something to say, we will die with you. And then all of a sudden the crucifixion happens. And you know where somebody's not? Peter is not at the cross. Peter is standing a ways away before Jesus is ever crucified. And someone's like, aren't you with the Galilean? It's like, no, I don't know who that is. They ask him three times. The third time he, he cusses. He's like, I don't know the man. Jesus Christ, he resurrects from the dead. He is, he is seeing his disciples, and Peter is out fishing. He tells them to come back. In all of our Bible translations, it says, Jesus reinstates Peter. Peter was going back to fishing. I don't know if you've ever been to that place before, where you've messed up really bad, and you think, God doesn't want me anymore. I'll just go back to what I'm doing, but maybe God will, maybe God will smile on me every now and again. And that, that'll be enough. I had a good friend in the ministry, and he messed up really bad. And he was telling me, he's like, you know something, I'm just going to work a job. He was called in the ministry at a young age. He really believed this. I believed that. I prayed with him. And he said, I'm just going to work a job, and I'll go to a church, and I'll try to be part of the church. And I said, God's not done with you, so you don't get, you don't get to make that decision. He's like, no, that's what I'm going to do. It's like, doesn't matter. The call of God's irrevocable. He's not done with you yet. You know, when Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? He's eating the word agape, which means a selfless love. It was the highest form of love they had in the Greek-speaking world. In fact, many, many early, many early um, readers and historians thought the New Testament was a profane book because it uses the word agape like crazy. And other ancient works don't use the word agape very much because it was such a high form of love. You didn't agape an individual, but we're told to agape one another to love each other deeply, for love covers over a multitude of sins. So when Jesus says, do you love me to Peter? He says, do you agape me? And Peter says back to him, I phileo you, I love you like a brother. He couldn't even use the same words as Christ. I bet you when Peter was listening to Jesus talk about the prodigal son, he didn't think I'm the younger brother. But here we are, Peter going back to the nets, back to the fish, and he's he doesn't believe he's worthy to be called one of your sons anymore. I will go to you as a slave. And he comes to Christ and he says, do you love me? He says, feed my sheep. 
You want to see what baptizing the Holy Spirit looks like? Read the rest of Acts chapter 2. For now, this guy who said, I don't, I don't, I don't know the man is preaching a, a, a gospel that he lived, that he knew, that he saw, and 3,000 people are added to their number in one day. That is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about. And it has this openness about it. The believers in that, in that Acts chapter 2, they had an openness. God, whatever you have, give to me. It wasn't a blind openness, but they understood what they had read about in the past was now going to be for them today. And that's what we're here to do today. Finally, they exercised. Do you, why do you exercise? Some of you are thinking, that's an easy one, Pastor Jason. I don't exercise. Well, I'm not just talking about physical exercise. Why do you do anything? Why do you do anything repetitively? Is it not to, one, put your talents and gifts into practice, and two, to get better? Nobody is instantly perfect in something they're trying to do. That's always a hard thing. I know it's a hard thing for me, like musically, I can sing, and people have tried to teach me how to play drums, play guitar, and play the piano. And then I found out I wasn't instantly good at them, so I quit. Uh, <laughs> but why do we do anything? It's to get better. It's to put into practice what we are learning. They go out, they receive this gift of the Holy Spirit of speaking in tongues. They are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they now use it to the people around them. And that is why they hear in their own language the greatness of God. Peter's sermon, we see tongues first, yes, but we also see something else. A power and boldness in the disciple who didn't believe he deserved to be called a disciple anymore. They were exercising their spiritual gifts. In the rest of the New Testament, we see that playing out. Some people do it wrong, straight up wrong. In the book of Corinthians, so many people are doing it wrong. And Paul will call them back. It's all about love. It's all about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. We read it at, at weddings a lot, but that's for all of us. And everything we do, it goes back to love. If I do not have love, I'm just a clanging gong. I'm just a symbol. They exercise the spiritual gift. Do you have a spiritual gift? Yes, you do. Are you using it? This can be the charismatic gifts, like speaking in tongues, spread prophecy. This can also be talents that God has given you. Are you using it for the building up of the church daily? If you are not, daily make a point of it. You may find that you become very rusty if you don't. There's a fear of getting things wrong. That's not necessarily a bad thing. We should see these things as sacred. It is possible, it's possible to fake these things. It is. It's possible to fake a concern for the lost too. It's possible to fake to fake or be manipulated into a lot of things, but that does not mean the things in and of themselves are not real and are not profitable for us. We passionately pursue them and correct things when we get them wrong. Worship team, would you come up at this time?